Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid of the Commandment Keepers Church, and we have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. Today's lesson will be titled, Direction is More Important Than Speed. No matter the speed, without the proper direction, a course correction will be in order, brothers and sisters. And today's lesson will help us spot our self-inflicted snares. The scriptures will help us discern our behavior patterns that result in self-traps, brothers and sisters. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 4 and 25 reads, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Let me read that again. Verse 25 reads, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So verse 25 magnifies the simplicity and singleness of motive. Brothers and sisters, it disparages a wandering eye. Listen to it again. Proverbs 4 and 25 reads, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So, pursuance of a direct purpose, avoiding temptations, brothers and sisters. Verse 26 reads, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Let me read that again. Verse 26 reads, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Notice something here, brothers and sisters. Verse 25 and 26 are making a connection between what? The feet and the eyes. The feet and the eyes are joined, brothers and sisters. So what is he saying? He's saying, consider attentively what our ruling passion is. Consider thine actions before execution. Let me read 26 again. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 4 and 26 reads, Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all thy ways be established. Verse 27. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So he's telling us, let nothing turn thee aside from the path of virtue, brothers and sisters. Let's move forward. Let's go to Psalms. Chapter 25, verse 12, brothers and sisters. Psalms 25 and 12 reads, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Let's read it again. Psalms 25 and 12 reads, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So, brothers and sisters, godly fear has a restraining influence that compels us to serve him. Brothers and sisters, listen to it again. Verse 12 reads, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So according to verse 12, the Most High manifests himself towards his non-resistant servants, brothers and sisters. 
And then it says, verse 12 reads, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So when it says teach him what to choose, this is not in a man's own power to do, brothers and sisters. We must be taught on what decisions to make. We're in no position to make decisions for ourselves, brothers and sisters, if you're a believer. Let's jump down to verse 15. Psalms 25 and 15 reads, Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. I'm going to read that again. Psalms 25 and 15 reads, Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. So, brothers and sisters, devoid of a guide, we could potentially choose the way of destruction. That's what verse 15 is saying. He's saying if your focus, if your eye is on him, brothers and sisters, then your obedience will steer you away from the net, the snare, the trap. But guess what? If your eye is somewhere else, because remember, the previous text, Proverbs 4 said, let your eyes look straight on. Brothers and sisters. See? Let me read Psalms 25 and 15 again. Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. So with your undivided attention on the Most High, deliverance. <laughs> That's what we're reading. He will deliver those whose priority is the Most High. Brothers and sisters. Let's move forward. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 2, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Proverbs 12 and 2 reads, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. So what we're reading here is equity. Brothers and sisters, we're reading equity here. Notice the difference in his response. It's enormous. <laughs> it's immeasurable, brothers and sisters. Notice, let me read it again. Verse 2 reads, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. So this magnifies the gravity of our decisions, brothers and sisters. According to verse 2 of Proverbs, the 12th chapter, our conduct determines which shall ensue, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing that? A good man obtained a favor, brothers and sisters, while the wicked man will be condemned. So look at the difference in his response, brothers and sisters. That's equity there. Because, see, Christians don't believe that the Most High could ever condemn. They believe God, you know, he just loves everything and everyone. He doesn't get angry. He accepts all people. I mean, I've heard homosexuals say, well, you know, the Christian God accepts all people. I'm like, what scripture is that, brother? What scripture is that? What scripture said God, you know, receive everyone? Matter of fact... Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. See, this is exactly where I take a Christian, right here, brothers and sisters. 
We're at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Verse 7 reads, If thou do well, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Brothers and sisters. I'm going to read that again. Verse 7 reads, If thou do well, shall thy not be accepted? So here it is. We must adjust our understanding of what good is to the Most High's understanding of goodness, brothers and sisters. According to verse 7, if we insist on setting our own standards for what is acceptable, sin lieth at the door, brothers and sisters. See? Let me read verse 7 again. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 reads, If thou do well, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So brothers and sisters, in verse 7, we are admonished to be alert because our enemy is at the door. And guess what? There's no way to mitigate the Most High's judgment, brothers and sisters. If you do well, you will be accepted. If you begin to establish or implement your own standards of what doing well is, brothers and sisters, sin life at the door. So we're just showing you something here. We're showing you the gravity of your decisions, brothers and sisters. Life is not a game. And wherever you are today in your life, brothers and sisters, you are there. I am there based on the decisions and, you know, a culmination of the decisions that I have made in my life led me to where I am today. And that's for everyone, brothers and sisters. Now, I know people, you know, that would mean if that's true, you know, I have to receive uh, responsibility. And I know that that word accountability or responsibility, self-discipline is a, you know, <laughs> it's not a popular word in today's society. But nevertheless, brothers and sisters, today's lesson, direction is more important than speed. We're going to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, brothers and sisters. Verse 21 reads, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. I'm going to read that again, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 5, verse 21 and 22. 21 reads, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Verse 22 reads, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. So, verse 22, brothers and sisters, references a net. Listen to it. Verse 22 reads, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. So that 
which first attracted the sinner afterwards detains him. That's why it says shall be holding with the cords of his sins, brothers and sisters. So Proverbs 5 magnifies the unintended consequences of iniquity, brothers and sisters. If you look at it closely, it shows you that ungodly actions bring surprising consequences, brothers and sisters. And guess what? This proverb is as true as gravity, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Job chapter 18, verse 7. We're going to read verse 7 and 8, brothers and sisters. Job 18 and 7 reads, The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. So, brothers and sisters, according to Job 18, the pursuit of our pleasures will prove to be the destruction of ourselves. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to read that again from the top. Job 18 and 7 reads, The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. So, brothers and sisters, the more we pursue sinful ambitions, the more we get entangled, brothers and sisters. It's our own pits that we fall into. That's what we're learning today, brothers and sisters. Where, what is my hand and where I am today and where I'll be next year? Our previous lesson, we had a previous lesson, brothers and sisters, on obtaining supernatural favor. That's a choice, brothers and sisters. But also, you have the flip side of that. And it's what? It's what we're reading today, brothers and sisters. You can do well and be accepted, as Genesis 4 and 7 said, or condemnation, brothers and sisters. It's, it's really up to you. If you would like to control the narrative, brothers and sisters, you're learning how today. Follow us to Proverbs 11 and 5. We're going to read verse 5 and 6, brothers and sisters. Verse 5 reads, The righteous of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. So, brothers and sisters, those who are compliant are led safely through life's hazards. It's telling us that what? Obedience is a guiding restraint which keeps us from self-destruction. I'm going to read that again. Listen closely. Proverbs 11 and 5 reads, The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. So, brothers and sisters, according to... Proverbs 11 and 5, the Most High does not need to intervene in the fall of the disorderly. We fall by our own wickedness, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 11 and 6 reads, The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but the transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. So according to verse 6, the undisciplined suffer by their own doings. 
brothers and sisters. The indulgence in our desires and passions will ravage and dismantle us, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read verse 6 one more time. Proverbs 11 and 6 reads, The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but the transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. So, brothers and sisters, we receive the penalty of our own unfaithful desires. Say, brothers and sisters, he's showing you, if you follow the path of virtue, the path of righteousness, you will be directed away from trouble. However, if you allow, if, if, if you become driven by your flesh, your flesh is going to drive you into a pit, brothers and sisters, without any shadow of a doubt. Let's go to Jeremiah 25, verse 7, brothers and sisters. Listen closely. Jeremiah 25 and 7 reads, Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Brothers and sisters, according to verse 7, it's our flagrant negligence that brings destruction upon ourselves. I'm going to read that again so you can hear. Listen closely. Jeremiah 25 and 7 reads, Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, to your own hurt. See? To your own hurt. Brothers and sisters, we we plunder our souls of its happiness. It's telling you, brothers and sisters, disobedience is evidence of the ambition we harbor for our own destruction. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36, brothers and sisters. Direction is more important than speed. Brothers and sisters, we're at Proverbs 8 and 36. Verse 36 reads, But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So this text magnifies the degradation we inflict upon ourselves, brothers and sisters. According to Proverbs 8 and 36, we are the author of our own sorrows, brothers and sisters. We impair our own souls by the sinful neglect of the Most High's instructions. Let's read that one more time before we move forward. Proverbs 8 and 36 reads, But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So according to verse 36, brothers and sisters, we poison our own water when we disregard his guidance. Sin wrongs the soul by subjecting it to the consequences of our immoral actions, brothers and sisters. He said, how many times will you make the same mistake? How many times? See? 
How many times, brothers and sisters, will we do this? We're moving forward. We're going to Proverbs 15 and 32, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 15 and 32 reads, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. So according to verse 32, brothers and sisters, our carelessness will result in self-inflicted wounds. We must not damage the soul to please the body, brothers and sisters. But that's what we do. Listen to it again, brothers and sisters. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof or correction getteth understanding. So this text emphasizes that true enjoyment of life depends on our accepting reproof, brothers and sisters. See? We're reading a guarantee of self-inflicted wounds when we ignore disciplinary instruction, brothers and sisters. You see, are, you re, are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? We're showing you how to control the narrative, brothers and sisters. The father is like, son, how many times must we do this? The last time you did this, it took you two and three years to get out of that situation. It took me three, four, five years to build you back after you was tore down last time. Daughter, how many times? How many times? It took you depression on top of three years, alcohol abuse, drug abuse to get over what transpired last time. And here it is. You're getting ready to make the same mistake again. This is what he's saying to us. Brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus chapter 32 verse 18 through 21. Verse 18 reads, A man of counsel will be considerate, but a strange and proud man is not daunted with fear, even when of himself he have done without counsel. Do nothing without advice, and when thou hast once done, repent not. Verse 20 reads, Go not in the way wherein thou mayest fall, and stumble not among the stones. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. I'm going to start at verse 18 again. Listen closely. A man of counsel will be considerate. Considerate of who, brothers and sisters? Considerate of the Most High. So we must be consistently inquisitive of the Most High's will, brothers and sisters. The rest of verse 18 says, But a strange and proud man is not daunted with fear, even when of himself he hath done without counsel. Do nothing without advice. And when thou hast once done, repent not. Now, brothers and sisters, there's no need to repent if we have deliberation with the Most High. So he's saying, he says, do nothing without advice. In that way, you won't have to repent. Because if you get the counsel of your God, there'll be nothing to repent for. So, brothers and sisters, we're learning what? We're learning that all of our decisions have consequences. 
And we're culpable for those consequences if we don't inquire. See that? Ecclesiastes 32 and 20 reads, Go not in a way wherein they wherein thou mayest fall, and stumble not among the stones. I'm going to read that one more time. Ecclesiasticus 32 and 20 reads, Go not in a way wherein thou mayest fall, and stumble not among the stones. So, brothers and sisters, according to Ecclesiasticus 32, without acknowledging the influence of the Most High in our deliberation, our plans generally come to nothing. He said, do nothing without counsel. Nothing means nothing, brothers and sisters. You should never make a decision. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, what what food should I eat tonight? And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anything that changes your life, brothers and sisters. Anything that will alter your life. You can't make those decisions devoid of a counselor. And that counselor, number one, should be the most high. First should be the most high. And he may send, you know, people, uh, you know, people that share the walk with you, share the faith with you to give you, you know, what they think about a certain circumstance. But usually when we don't ask for counsel, there's a reason why, brothers and sisters. When you don't want to ask, well, what do you think about this? There's a reason why is because. We already have our mind set up that no matter what he or she say, I'm going to do this. See? What what other reason would you have for not asking the God that created you? Unless you know you're asking for something to consume amongst you, uh, uh, you know, upon your lust. Like the New Testament tell, tell you. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amidst to consume with the lust of the flesh. So there's a reason why we don't get counsel, brothers and sisters. And the Most High is calling it out. Let's go to James 4 and 17. We're in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. James 4 and 17 reads, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let's read it again. James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, brothers and sisters, knowledge of duty increases obligation to perform it. And the neglect of known duty is sin. Why are we bringing that up? Why are we bringing that up? Because it's a sin to not consult the commander-in-chief, brothers and sisters. See? Let me read it again. James 4 and 17 reads, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, brothers and sisters, it is a sin to know that a thing is right and yet leave it undone. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Job, chapter 35, verse 6 through 8, brothers and sisters. Job 35 and 6 reads, 
If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or it thy transgressions, or if your transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. Job 35 and 6 reads, If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or it thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? So, brothers and sisters, neither does our sin hurt the Most High, or our justice profit him. He will be glorified without you. That's what the scripture is telling you, brothers and sisters. Let me read it again. Job 35 and 6 reads, If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what giveth thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. So, brothers and sisters, according to Job 35, if you look at it closely, the, the, the author is telling us that we don't make him better in any way by being obedient, brothers and sisters. Our sins do him no hurt, and our righteousness bring him no benefit, brothers and sisters. Our obedience, or lack thereof, ultimately doesn't harm or benefit him either way, brothers and sisters. So this, this text highlights the only person you can affect is yourself, brothers and sisters. And that is, this is a key scripture in the Bible because a lot of times we feel like we're doing God a favor by doing what he said. By staying away from paganism, staying away from unclean foods, observing the Sabbath. And he, the, the author is setting it, he's setting it right. He said, listen, don't think that you're, you're benefiting the Most High by doing what He told you to. You're benefiting yourself. And that's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Because why? The author is trying to humble us, brothers and sisters. We need to be humble. Because we believe that, you know, God should pat me on the back because I did what He said. So I should get a blessing every time you know, I do what he asked me to do. I should get a blessing. No, it doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. I've heard brothers say, well, you know, they pray to the Most High and say, well, Father, if you just give me this or do this for me, I'll do that. And the Most High is like, deals off. Deals off because I only want people who will love and follow me, acquiesce to me, even if I don't give them what they want. So if you're trying to make deals for your obedience, the most high is like deal is off. Deal's off. I'll find someone else. See? Let's go to Psalms 16 and 1, brothers and sisters. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 reads, Preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. I'm going to read those two scriptures again, brothers and sisters. Listen to it closely. 
Preserve, verse 1 reads, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. So, brothers and sisters, thou, the Most High, <laughs> does not need me or my service. He's not capable of any advantage of it, brothers and sisters. He stands in need of nothing. And guess what? The psalmist understood that. Listen to verse 2 again. Verse 2 reads, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness, my goodness extendeth not to thee. So anything we can yield him is undeserving of any recompense, brothers and sisters. Now, guess what? This humility is as a perfume of sweet odor, brothers and sisters. Even the psalmist understood, my, my goodness can't even extend to you. I can't do any good for you. <laughs> See? Why is the psalmist putting this here, brothers and sisters, to humble us? We have a, a, a misunderstanding, a misperception of who God is, brothers and sisters, and who we are, brothers and sisters. In this text, the, the, uh, these scriptures today will help us get some clarity, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Job 22, verse Two through four. Job twenty two and two reads Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Brothers and sisters, no man can profit his maker. The most high is not helped or impressed by even the wisest man, brothers and sisters. Why? Because even the wisest man cannot give instruction to the Almighty. I'm going to read that again. Job 22 and 2 reads, Can a man be profitable unto God? As he that is wise may be profitable unto himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it any gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? So, brothers and sisters, what we're learning here is the Most High is independent and supreme. He has nothing to gain if man is righteous. The Most High needs not us or our service, brothers and sisters. He's not dependent on that which he has created. Let me read verse 4, brothers and sisters. Again, Job 22 and 4 reads, Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Brothers and sisters, God is not a man that he should have to justify himself to us. When it says, when it says he will not enter into judgment, that means it's just like a court of law, brothers and sisters, where you have to prove yourself. The Most High is saying, I don't need to prove anything, not to you. Guess what? This level of humility is sobering. Brothers and sisters, it's sobering. 
Follow us to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 12, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 9 and 12 reads, If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. So the benefit shall be thy own, brothers and sisters. He's saying, I advise you for your own good. It doesn't benefit me. Let's read it again, brothers and sisters. Maybe you missed that. Proverbs 9 and 12 reads, If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. So verse 12 emphasizes that the ultimate gainer or loser is the man himself, brothers and sisters. He highlights that individual liberty has individual consequences, brothers and sisters. You seeing that? <laughs> he said, by you, you know, by you studying, you know, you studying my word, that doesn't benefit me. You're not teaching me anything. I gave you the word. <laughs> See? He said, I gave you the gift. We're learning something here, brothers and sisters. Here it is. We're learning. We're getting somewhere. Direction is more important than speed, brothers and sisters. That's our title today, and we're learning about that direction. We're learning about that speed, too, brothers and sisters. We're going to Jeremiah 32 and 33. 30, the, uh, the 33rd verse of the 32nd chapter reads, And they have turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. Brothers and sisters, I, did you get that clearly? Let me read it again. The 33rd verse of the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah reads, And they have turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. Brothers and sisters, according to this text, if you look at it closely, neglecting his instruction is turning your back towards him. Let me read it again. Verse 33 read, 33 reads, And they have turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. Now, brothers and sisters, what we're reading here, turning your back towards the Most High, this particular act of treason exposes you to discipline, and you should know that. We want our brothers and sisters to be able to make a Educated decision with all the information. What you're reading here, brothers and sisters, you should understand that the Most High does not allow sin to pass by without consequences. He doesn't. That, that law is as true as gravity, brothers and sisters.
Let's go forward, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 19 and 29. We're going to show you because Jeremiah talked about us turning our back to him. And what you'll learn, brothers and sisters, what you get ready to read here shows you what transpires as a result of turning your back or ignoring the Most High. We're at Proverbs 19 and 29. The 29th verse reads, Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. I'm going to read that again. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. So, brothers and sisters, he understood that certain men only respond to one thing, and that's pain. It said, in stripes for the back of fools. So, stripes will be laid on the backs of fools by the one who's instructing them, brothers and sisters. The Most High did not create us so we could disobey him without consequences, brothers and sisters. We're going to read that one more time. Proverbs 19 and 29 reads, Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. So verse 29 magnifies the certainty of consequences, brothers and sisters. The retributive justice in its purest form, an equitable punishment for a life of sin, brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know if you copy, if you actually caught that. Jeremiah 32 said what? Jeremiah 32 said, when you ignore his instruction, when you neglect him, when you refuse to acquiesce, that's like turning your back on him. Proverbs 19 and 29 said he has stripes for the backs of fools. <laughs> Are you seeing that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Proverbs 26 and 3. Proverbs 26 and 3 reads, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the back of fools. Or for the fool's back, excuse me. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. We're at Proverbs, the 26th chapter in the third verse. Verse 3 reads, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Brothers and sisters, some people need harsher methods than just mere words. They only respond to force or pain. Now the question is, how long must we be forced to submit to discipline rather than simply surrendering, brothers and sisters? Because this is something that I, you know, um, something that I fear is that our people my people, the children of Israel, only respond to pain. So that means the most I have to, you know, suplex you for you to get the point. I fear that for my people. I'm going to read that one more time. Proverbs 26 and 3 reads, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. So we're reading the consequences of, of man's disregard of 
divine instruction, brothers and sisters. That's crystal clear. We're learning what? Direction is more important than speed, brothers and sisters, because there's a lot of people going nowhere fast. Let's move on. We're going to Proverbs 17 and 10, brothers and sisters. Verse 10 reads, A reproof enter more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. So, brothers and sisters, this is how you measure wisdom. How well do you take reproof? Because this text says correction to a wise man is more than a hundred blows to a fool. Listen to it again. Proverbs 17 and 10. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. So brothers and sisters, where it says reproof entereth more into a wise man, it's telling you that when there's reproof, when there's correction, it penetrates into his heart and pierces his conscience, brothers and sisters. But we're learning here that correction must be adapted to the character of the offender. Why? Because only fools have to receive their wisdom from the rod of correction. It's telling you, the scripture is telling you, a wise man, he learns more from being corrected one time, a singular time, than a fool getting a hundred lashes on their back. Still don't get it. Going to continue to do it how they want to do it. See? We're going to go to Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 39 and 40. Verse 39 of the third chapter in Lamentations reads, Wherefore do a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again unto the Lord. So brothers and sisters, if you look closely at this text, this text represents affliction as a punishment for insubordination. The text is telling you, if life remains, whatever we undergo must be less than our sins have deserved, because that's mercy. Let's read it again. Verse 39 reads, Wherefore doeth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? So, brothers and sisters, no calamity or trouble befalls us, but what is reciprocated for our sins. I'm going to read verse 40. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. So what is this doing? This text, verse 40, emphasizes self-examination. How do we know? Let me read it again. Let us search and try our ways and turn again unto the Lord. So he's telling you, be inquisitive of your actions against God's instruction. See? What we're reading, what he's telling us is a tacit admission that we have indeed transgressed is obligatory, brothers and sisters. That's obligated. Now, not only should there be self-examination, but there's something else. Let me read those two texts again. 
Lamentations 3 and 39 reads, Wherefore do a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. So when it says turn again, brothers and sisters, it's telling us to let self-examination end in reformation, brothers and sisters. It says search and try our ways. That's self-examination. It says and turn again to the Lord. That's reformation. See? So a lot of us don't want to deal with self-examination because we know we're wrong. And usually what happens, if you look at Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Most High, they didn't, you know, they hid from him. They didn't want to be in his presence. They were shamed. And that's what we do, brothers and sisters. When we know we're wrong, we don't even want to talk to him about it. We don't even want to look at it. We want to act like it didn't happen. The Bible is telling you, that is not the way. That's a slippery slope that you're going down. We're going to go to Psalms 107 and 17. Psalms 107 and 17 reads, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, the Most High's punishment is not arbitrary. It's meticulous. Let me read it again. Verse 17 reads, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. So according to verse 17, refusal to yield obedience to the Most High will end with consequences, brothers and sisters. And guess what? The psalmist demonstrates how we bring affliction upon ourselves. See, this is this this text here, this uh, scripture here. Is one of the most important things you can find in the Bible, brothers and sisters. The principle here, he's telling you, guess what? The afflictions are coming from the decisions that you're making. A lot of us try to say, well, nah, the devil, the devil is a lie, the devil's attacking me, you know. The most high the devil, like, listen, don't be putting me in this. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> I didn't do nothing. They want to blame me for everything. <laughs> The Most High is telling you he brings affliction based on your level of flagrant ineptitude. See? Let's go to Ecclesiast uh, Ecclesiasticus 16 and 11, brothers and sisters. With Ecclesiasticus 16 and 11... In the Apocrypha, verse 11 reads, And if there be one stiff-necked among the people, it is marvel if he escape unpunished. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. And if there be one stiff-necked among the people, it is marvel if he escape unpunished. For mercy and wrath are with him. He is mighty to forgive and to, power, and to power out displeasure. So brothers and sisters. The Most High's righteousness. Cannot allow disobedience to go unpunished. It would be unjust. Brothers and sisters. 
I really need my people to understand that because we know when we're doing wrong. So I'm confused, brothers and sisters, how we can know we're doing wrong and understand that the Most High's righteousness will not allow me to get away with it, but yet do it anyway. If you know that you're going to get burned, why put your hand on the stove? I'm going to read that again. Ecclesiasticus 16 and 11. And if there be one stiff necked among the people, it is marvel if he escape unpunished. For mercy and wrath are with him. He is mighty to forgive and to power out displeasure. Verse 12 reads, As his mercy is great, so is his correction also. He judgeth a man according to his works. See? So only an unjust judge would allow crimes to go unpunished, brothers and sisters. We're reading something critical here. What are we reading? We're reading that there must be punishment in order to satisfy the Most High's righteous demand for justice, brothers and sisters. See? And especially some of us that, you know, some of the brothers and sisters that's been learning with us for a while. Because you're aware now. You're conscious now. Your conscience is open, brothers and sisters. So if you try to sway back to do or rather sway to the side of wrong of evil he is going to get you and he's going to get you quickly every single time why because you know better you know too much see when you was in the world and didn't really know me didn't know who you were didn't know about the sabbath and the unclean foods it said the bible tell you he winked at our ignorance it was you know it was entertaining to some degree but now he said it's time for all of us to repent and come back to the Father. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson is titled, Direction is More Important Than Speed, Brothers and Sisters. Brothers and sisters, actions are tied to consequences. There are consequences for disobedience whether or not we fully comprehend the purpose behind the directives. And to magnify that particular point, we're going to take a look at Moses, brothers and sisters. Why? Because Moses was the lawgiver. He was the lawgiver, one of the greatest Israelites in all of the Bible, brothers and sisters. Wrote the Torah, brothers and sisters. And why are we going here? To highlight the consequences that came subsequent to his negligence. To prove that all people must operate from the same set of rules. No matter your personal greatness, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to the Old Testament. Let's go to the Torah, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Exodus 17 and 1. We're going to read verse 1 and then we'll jump to verse 5 and 6. We're starting at 1 to give it context, brothers and sisters. We're at Exodus 17 and 1. Exodus 17 and 1 reads, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched and reefed them, and there was no water 
for the people to drink. So brothers and sisters, Exodus 17, we're at the beginning of the children of Israel's 40 year wandering, brothers and sisters. We're at the beginning of the 40 years. I'm going to read verse 1 once again. Exodus 17 and 1 reads, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So here it is in the wilderness. At the beginning of our 40 years, our people had no water, nothing to drink. We're suffering of thirst, brothers and sisters. We're going to jump to verse 5 and 6. Exodus 17 and 5 reads, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand and go. So here it is, brothers and sisters. The Most High commanded Moses to go before our people and bring that rod with him, that same rod, brothers and sisters, that turned into a serpent, the same rod that was utilized for us to cross the Red Sea, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read verse 5 one more time. Exodus 17 and 5 reads, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, Take in thine hand and go. Verse 6 reads, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So brothers and sisters, according to verse 6, God commanded Moses to strike the rock so that the thirst-quenching waters might be miraculously provided for the children of Israel. Now, brothers and sisters, many of our people don't even know this rock. We remember the story of when he smote the rock and was not allowed to travel into the land because of his disobedience, but many of us didn't know that 40 years prior to that, brothers and sisters, Moses was commanded to strike the rock. And bring forth waters of salvation, brothers and sisters. So we wanted to go here first. We're at Exodus 17 and 6. Verse 6 reads, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so. In the sight of the elders of Israel, we just wanted to go here, brothers and sisters, to emphasize or to highlight that the Most High initially, 40 years prior, commanded Moses to strike the rock to bring forth waters. Now, we're going to go to 40 years later, brothers and sisters. 40 years prior was the beginning of the wilderness. Now we're going 40 years after Exodus 17, brothers and sisters. And where are we going to find ourselves? We're going to, we're going to start here at Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. Numbers 20 and 2 reads, And there was no water for the congregation, 
And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. So no, brothers and sisters, this is not the same story. Many people get this confused. These are 40 years apart. Numbers chapter 20 and Exodus 17. One instance was at the beginning of our wilderness travel. Numbers 20 was towards the end of our wilderness travel, but yet the same problem, the same obstacle has arose. The lack of water. Let me read verse 2 again. Numbers 20 and 2 reads, And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now I'm going to jump to verse 7 through 12, brothers and sisters. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. Listen closely, brothers and sisters, because here is what the Most High commanded Moses to do this time. Listen closely. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. Brothers and sisters, listen closely. Because there is, there's a huge difference between Exodus 17 and the commandment given in Numbers 20 and 8, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, one more time. I really need you to listen closely or you'll miss this, brothers and sisters. Numbers chapter 20, verse 8 reads, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together. Thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and give it, and excuse me, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. So here it is the Most High is commanding Moses to do what? To speak to the rock this time, brothers and sisters. Verse 9 reads, And Moses took the rock from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their beasts also. Brothers and sisters, I need you to really examine that because Moses, in his anger, in his frustration with our murmuring and complaining, our people's murmuring and complaining, out of frustration, he has now transgressed God's directives. He have now struck the rock which he was not commanded to do. He was commanded to speak unto this rock. He was commanded to strike the rock in Exodus 17. Now that's key, brothers and sisters. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to read verse 10 through 12 again. Numbers 20 and 10 reads, 
And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their beast also. Verse 12 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Moses was penalized severely as a result of deviating from God's instructions. And that's what the basis of this lesson is about, brothers and sisters. See? Direction is more, imp more important than speed. And many times we set up snares from ourselves and then expect there to be no consequence, brothers and sisters. And we needed to show you that even Moses has to operate from the same set of rules you and I do. No matter, no matter his personal greatness, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read verse 12 again. Numbers 20 and 12 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So now Moses was no longer permitted to bring our people into the promised land, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing that closely? Now, this is a couple things working here. This shows a couple things. Number one, brothers and sisters, just because something worked in the past doesn't mean the Most High will allow it to work again. And that's a major, major point that I, I, I want our people to comprehend, to understand, brothers and sisters, on a cerebral level. Why? Because a lot of times, brothers and sisters, when we... When we have success doing it our way, it makes it that much harder to transform or to reform ourselves, brothers and sisters. And what we're learning is that what was right for you last year may not be right for you this year, brothers and sisters. That's crystal clear. Now, the question is, why such a harsh punishment for what seems like a small infraction, brothers and sisters? Why is he no longer permitted to escort us into the promised land. Why was this such an offense to the Most High, brothers and sisters? And what you'll find out is that rock that Moses struck was meant to represent the Messiah. That rock that he struck in Numbers 20 was representation of Christ himself, brothers and sisters. Let's prove that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, brothers and sisters, to prove to you that that rock Moses struck represented the Messiah. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 reads, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Now, brothers and sisters, there must be a warning within these scriptures that we would do well to heed. Why? Listen again. 
First Corinthians 10 and 1 reads, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2 reads, And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. Verse 4 reads, And did all drink the spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. See? I'm going to read that again, brothers and sisters, because now you're seeing why the judgment was so harsh. Moses was commanded to strike the first rock, but told to speak to the second one, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Christ being smitten once on the cross produced life-giving waters of salvation. Our mediator had to receive the punishment of the law before he could be the source of salvation. That's why initially in Exodus 17, Moses was told he was commanded to do what? To strike the rock, brothers and sisters. That was prophecy. It was prophetic. Why? Because Christ would have to be struck to bring forth salvation or that water to quench our thirst, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read one through four again. Because what we're reading in chapter 10 is during that time of the wilderness. And Paul said, listen, don't be ignorant of this. Why? You're learning it. Many people don't know what that rock represented, brothers and sisters. Therefore, we, you know, we're not grasping the full wealth, the full health of the literature. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 through 4. Verse 1 reads, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2 reads, And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, when it says baptized under, unto Moses in the cloud, why? Because our people had to go through the water to get to the other side of the sea, brothers and sisters. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 and 3 reads, And did eat the same spiritual meat, the manna that rained down, brothers and sisters. But the key is verse 4. And 1 Corinthians 10 and 4 reads, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. That rock was was Christ, brothers and sisters. See? So that rock represented Christ. And Christ, being smitten on the cross, one time produced life-giving waters of salvation. Why? Because the Messiah would have to receive the punishment applicable by the law before he could redeem our people, brothers and sisters. So this was a foreshadowing. Let's read that. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5 reads, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, 
we are healed. See? So Christ, brothers and sisters, was struck by the Most High's wrath in our place, just as the rod of Moses struck that rock. See? Christ was the rock that brought forth living water, brothers and sisters. Only when the rock was smitten did it bring forth life-giving water. So let me read it again. Isaiah 53 and 5 reads, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now you're understanding, brothers and sisters, what why the Most High commanded Moses to strike the rock in Exodus 17. It was a representation of what? Of the Messiah's crucifix, which would bring forth salvation to a people who needed to be redeemed, brothers and sisters. In the Bible, water is salvation, brothers and sisters. That salvation, that water, came from that rock once it was struck, brothers and sisters. And guess what? In this way, the Most High showed Moses the prophetic gospel of Christ. But therein, therein lies the problem. When he struck that rock twice, brothers and sisters, he corrupted the literature. We're going to prove that. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10 and 26 reads, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So, brothers and sisters, this explicit warning should give us clarity into Moses' transgression. Moses wasn't to strike the rock again, for it had already been smitten, brothers and sisters. And according to this text, the sacrifice was made once, and we don't have to smite the rock again. I'm going to read it again, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 10 and 26 reads, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. See? So in Numbers, figuratively speaking, Christ had already been struck. Brothers and sisters, and Moses's negligence corrupted the prophetic literature because essentially what he was saying was that Christ would have to be smitten or crucified twice to bring forth salvation. And that, my friends, is a corruption of the text. See, Christ is not going to throw himself on the cross again for our willful disobedience, brothers and sisters. If we continue to sin after knowing the truth, there remain no more sacrifice for sin. And that's what this text is emphasizing, showing you that Christ will only be crucified one time. Therefore, making Moses' Moses's conduct, his behavior in regards to striking that rock a second time in Numbers chapter 20, that particular act was ill-advised and a corruption of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, see, let us show you. I know, I know, brothers and sisters, that's, I know. A lot of us have not heard that, brothers and sisters, but the scriptures link flawlessly. And that's why you have to continue to study 
the scripture, the word, brothers and sisters. Because there's many stories we believe we know in the Bible. But as we continue to grow older and mature, we get better understanding. Why? Because the way that you interpret scriptures are based on your experience, brothers and sisters. So you can get something from a scripture 10 years ago. Know that same scripture 15 years later and get a completely new, uh, uh, you know, more vast understanding. Not that the context or concept has changed, but you get more than the, the scripture yielded to you when you had less experience, brothers and sisters. Now, we're going to show you, we're going to prove, further proof, that is, that Christ represented that rock or that rock represented Christ and therefore the the punishment for disobedience for negligence was warranted for Moses brothers and sisters we're going to go to Jacob's well we're going to go to the gospel brothers and sisters we're going to John chapter 4 verse 6 through 15 brothers and sisters John 4 and 6 reads, Now Jacob's well was there. Christ therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7 reads, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Christ saith unto her, Give me a drink. Verse 8 reads, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Verse 9 reads, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, brothers and sisters, that right there highlights a couple of things we want to touch. This woman understood that even though she lived in the land, she was not a Jew. See, she was a Gentile, proving that just because a person lived in a land doesn't make them the people of that land. See, because that's what Edomites have done. They said, well, listen, since we live in Judea, since we live in Jerusalem, we'll call ourselves Jews. But Christ is making a distinction here. So is this sister. There's a distinction here that even though you inhabit a land, that doesn't make you the, you know, the native people of that particular land. See, so when people say, uh, yeah, well, the Jews, they live in Israel. That's why they live there. They don't know history because here it is in the gospel. During crisis time, you had Gentiles living within the borders of Israel. Let me read that again. John chapter four, verse nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 10 reads, Christ answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who, it, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest have gave, excuse me, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. John chapter four, verse 10. Christ answered and said unto her, 
if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me a drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So Christ is saying, Listen, I have spiritual water that quenches spiritual thirst and gives life. I'm going to read that one more time. John 4 and 10 reads, Christ answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? So she's asking Christ, how could you possibly quench my thirst with no pail to draw with? Showing you what, brothers and sisters, the people that were walking during that time, a lot of them did not know who Christ was. See how we all understand and comprehend. Why didn't people believe on Christ? People didn't know who Christ was. Even some of the disciples, while they were walking, many of them didn't even fully comprehend, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read verse 11 again. John 4 and 11 reads, The, woman's, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Verse 12 reads, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle. Verse 13 reads, Christ answered, and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up, into everlasting life. So brothers and sisters. The effect of this water. Christ's water. Does much more than simply satisfy the thirst of the one who drinks it. Brothers and sisters. Water is biblically emblematic of salvation. I'm going to read that one more time. John 4 and 14 reads. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him. Shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15 reads, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Brothers and sisters, now you understand what Christ was speaking of. He said, I can give you that water, that spiritual water. In which you will never thirst again. Why? Because he was the rock. Brothers and sisters. That delivered the water in the Old Testament. To the children of Israel. See? Are you seeing that brothers and sisters? Look at it closely. Brothers and sisters. Christ said if you knew who I was. You would ask me for drink. Why? Because Christ was the rock. In the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters. So what are we learning? We're learning that Moses in the rock was a clear foreshadowing of Christ at Calvary. Brothers and sisters, can you see it? A beautiful parable, isn't it, brothers and sisters? 
something I want to emphasize, though, is Moses had no comprehension of this at the time of his transgression, brothers and sisters. Moses, ne to my knowledge, in all of the literature that I've studied, Christ, or excuse me, Moses never understood what the rock represented until he died, brothers and sisters. According to all the records I have read, none highlighted that Moses came to the comprehension or understanding that that rock represented Christ. Showing you that what? You're not always going to understand the Most High's directives, yet, nevertheless, obedience is required, brothers and sisters. Moses had no clue that he had just corrupted spiritual prophecy, the prophetic gospel. He had no clue of this, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the Most High doesn't always give you all of his information. He gives you directives. And it's upon you and I to follow those directives, whether or not we comprehend them, brothers and sisters. Sometimes you have to make a fool out of yourself for the Most High. We're going to go to Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. This is going to be our last scripture for the night, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 55 and 8 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm going to read that one more time. Isaiah 55 and 8 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, brothers and sisters, according to this text, your comprehension is not needed. Your obedience is, brothers and sisters. And I'm here to say, agreement-based obedience trains us to trust our own feelings, brothers and sisters. The Most High does not require us to understand His will. Just obey it, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Only when obedience doesn't make sense do we begin to learn to obey, brothers and sisters. So we just wanted to highlight that Moses is playing or had to play from the same playbook as you and I. Moses had to act. Moses had to conduct himself the way the most high had designated for him, brothers and sisters, whether or not he understood. And his his disobedience, brothers and sisters, his negligence was damning brothers and sisters, on the text, on the, the prophetic gospel. He never knew that Christ was represented by that rock and him striking that rock was going to corrupt the, the prophetic gospel. He never understood that. Nevertheless, his obedience was required, brothers and sisters. And why do we say that? Because a lot of times you're not going to comprehend why the Most High is instructing you to do whatever it is He's instructing you to do. It's going to take that faith, that submission, brothers and sisters, that will follow through even when you don't fully comprehend 
brothers and sisters. Why? Because direction is more important than speed, brothers and sisters. We went through a myriad of literature today, a myriad of scriptures today that showed us how we control our own narrative, brothers and sisters. How it is that we poison our own water from time to time, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson should have taught us how to control our destiny to some degree, brothers and sisters, and how to take responsibility not only for where we are today, but what has transpired in the past, brothers and sisters. So I pray that our brothers and sisters take down these notes. Listen to this as many times as you need to, brothers and sisters. And deal with application. Deal with application, brothers and sisters, because why? Knowledge of the truth is not, <laughs> that's not righteous, brothers and sisters. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is applying the knowledge that you have now, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson was titled, Direction is More Important Than Speed. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more.